We train our attention back on Luke chapter 1 today, so if you have a Bible with you, I hope you do, find your way to Luke chapter 1 as we pick up kind of where we left off last week with the biblical account of a couple named Zecharias and Elizabeth. And in fact, today's passage is going to take us into the song that Zecharias sings, or we'll talk here in a moment about whether or not we might really consider that to be a song. But before Amy and I came to New Vision, we were involved in our prior church in starting up a new Sunday school class. And as an outing for that class, we decided that we would go as a group one evening and sing Christmas carols. Now, we started out in a few houses of individuals that we knew, but the last of those was kind of an apartment that was a a part of this greater area Uh, kind of a semi-retirement community. And so we thought, hey, well, let's just go door to door and do the good old-fashioned Christmas caroling sort of thing. And so we did that, and we would knock on doors, individuals would come, and we would sing to them. Uh, That worked pretty well until we came to this one house where we knocked on the door, someone came, opened the door for us, we began to sing, and then she quickly slammed the door shut. Oh, New Vision, I'm here to ask you today, what do you do in the situation where someone slams the door in your face while you're singing to them? I mean, there's a couple of things you could kind of assume might be going on, right? Like, you know, maybe they think we're just, you know, strangers who are using this as a cover to kind of break in. Maybe we're just really horrible singers, right? I mean, there's a little bit of that that goes through your mind, but, we, we, you know, we kind of took the, the former approach assuming well this is just someone who doesn't know that we're here for good kind intentions and so we continued to sing even as the door was there closed and after we made it through about a couple of verses of joy to the world this lady opened her door once again and she said I appreciate what you guys are trying to do but I'm going to ask you not to sing and she went on to explain how for her Christmas was a time of sadness. Christmas was a time of grief. Christmas was a time when she ultimately had learned not to celebrate because of some things that she had experienced in her past. So we apologized to her. We offered to pray for her, and then we moved along to the next house. Well, You know, Amy started a new job at the bank not long ago, and she told me just this past week that she had one of her clients who came in with a similar sort of mentality. Amy asked this lady if she was ready for Christmas. I mean, that seems to be a nice way to break the ice, especially if you're working in a sort of place where you don't know individuals. Just a a kind question, are you ready for Christmas? But this lady said that Christmas just didn't seem to be for her anymore. She conveyed that in essence she felt like she had outgrown Christmas. She said something like, Christmas is for the younger folks. I used to celebrate, but now there's nothing left for me to celebrate. And you know, Christmas can be that way for some individuals. For for some of you, Christmas season may be a reminder of your disappointments and your failures and your losses and your griefs. But you should know that this 
season, which ought to be a season of merriness. That's, that's something we all have ingrained in our minds. We know this ought to be a time of celebration. And sometimes when it's not for us, it becomes a root of bitterness for us. And some individuals have a hard time pushing through the disappointed expectations. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you're having a hard time pushing through the disappointment of expectations in how you found your own personal Christmas experiences playing out. The sorts of Christmas experiences that would never make their way onto a Hallmark card, for example. Or maybe some of you have gotten the idea that Christmas is all about children. From programs like the ones that we've just seen here this morning to the waking up early, to rake in the hall of presents under the tree, or standing in lines at the mall to wait to sit on the big guy's lap. And some individuals have this sort of mentality that says, there's no more excitement in this season for me. There's, there's nothing else for me to celebrate. I'm too old to enjoy that sort of thing. And yes, some of us can be a little bit bah humbug when someone mentions singing about or celebrating the Christmas season. But that's not the testimony that we see in God's Word. And I believe it's because the basis for celebration in God's Word is so much different than what some of these individuals who are refusing to celebrate have decided to base their celebration or the lack thereof Upon, when Christmas came around in biblical times, no one was excluded. In fact, everyone seems ready to join in on these carols, celebrating the wonderful truths behind what really ought to be the focus of our Christmas celebrations. Because they realized that God's long-awaited rescuer had come. His mercy had been made known and his mercy made individuals merry, joyful. They chose to exalt him. And so individuals like Zecharias and Elizabeth, whom we began to look at last week, were in a mode of celebration when Christmas time came, in spite of the fact that they had faced many difficulties of their own. I mean, we looked at that last week. Elizabeth had struggled with barrenness, they had struggled as a couple. In fact, she spoke good earlier in Luke chapter 1 about how God had taken away her disgrace. She'd lived a life of disgrace, a life with people alienating her. She was an outcast like so many others that Luke presents before us in his gospel. And yet Jesus comes to make the difference for the outcasts. And he does so with Zacharias and Elizabeth. In fact, when we study the events of the first Christmas, as they're recorded in Luke chapters 1 and 2, we find that the characters that God presents here in this narrative through Luke weave this kind of combination of, of, of praise and narration. So, so Luke will give us the narration. He'll lay out the facts. He'll tell us the events of that first Christmas. And then it's like the spotlight comes on. It's, it's like he directs his beam at a particular individual in the story and they begin to praise God. It's as if everyone else fades in the shadows. Everyone else goes into the background. Everyone else just fades away as these individuals step into this moment of praise. In fact, there are four of these sorts of passages of personal praise that are found in Luke chapters 1 and 2. 
And Bible scholars believe that these soliloquies of praise were essentially sung as songs of worship in the early church. They were used by the early church as kind of an, a first round of Christmas hymnals. Now, we'll never know for sure this side of heaven whether these songs or these soliloquies of praise were sung by the biblical characters who originally uttered them. But it's interesting to note that the passages that we find here in Luke chapters 1 and 2 are similar to the Psalms in the Old Testament in their style. So stylistically, they are just like what Old Testament Israel would have used in their singing. And so I think it's fair for us to consider that these bursts of praise that we find in Luke chapters 1 and 2 were intended to be sung. You could think of these interludes of praise as the original book of Christmas carols. And when Luke turns the spotlight onto these characters, it's as if if all else fades into the background. All that matters is praising the one who is making all the difference there in that first Christmas. And so that's when we hear the songs of celebration. That's when we hear the hopeful dreams of those who are finding God's blessings through the gifts of that first Christmas. And it all began with Mary's song back in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. It's known as the Magnificat. And then this morning we'll encounter Zacharias making his own contribution, which is the second of those contributions in a song that is known as the Benedictus. Then in chapter 2, there's a great multitude of angels who gather around the shepherds and they are praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And so their song is known as Gloria in Excelsis. Simeon closes out the caroling book with what is known as the Nunc Dimitis, as he beholds the eight-day-old Christ in Luke chapter 2. Now, those names probably don't make a lot of sense to any of us because we don't speak Latin. But just so you know, the names of those songs are correlated with kind of key words that occur in what those individuals are saying or singing. So, for example, the Benedictus that we talk about now is a Latin translation of what would be uh, the Greek word at the root, the Greek verb would be eulogeo. We, we speak of doing a eulogy for someone. We speak of, and, and it really means to speak well of someone or to speak praise of someone. And so the Benedictus is just a Latin version that says this is a song of praise, a song of saying good things about God. And, it, and it's actually a translation of that first word that we have in our passage we'll look at here in a minute, which is translated blessed. Now, none of these songs, we should note, would be like what we've witnessed here today. None of these songs were sung by little children. That first Christmas wasn't just a focus on the little ones and the pretty dresses and the nice ties and the good look that you guys put on those young ones today. Thanks for shining them up, by the way. Now, don't get me wrong, the smallest of children... John the Baptist was was still in his mother's womb back in Luke chapter 1 verse 41 when he leapt to hear the, the voice of his Savior's mother as Mary came to visit her cousin Elizabeth. So certainly the young ones were in on the praise. This is a praise for all ages. But all those who sang here 
in this passage were just not like our young ones from a moment ago. They ranged from teenagers to well advanced in their years. And my point is this, you're never too old for God to put a song of Christmas blessing in your life. Zechariah and Elizabeth were living proof of this. As we saw last week, they'd struggled with barrenness. They'd struggled with no children in a society that expected you to have lots of children. And a society that saw anything less than having lots of children as a curse of God. But still, they pressed on. In fact, the the biblical text says that they were righteous in the Lord's sight. When we find Zechariah, we don't find him in a hole lamenting, saying, Oh my goodness, why has life not gone the way that I planned? No, we find him serving in the temple. He's going along faithfully. And that's the story of this couple. Though they'd faced adversity, still they faithfully served God. Still they were righteous in his sight as they faithfully carried out their duties and ministering before him. They'd been through a lot of heartache. They'd been through a lot of disgrace as they waited for God to answer their prayers. And really, by this point in their lives, advanced in years, they had given up the hope that they would one day be parents. They had resolved to be forgotten, here for a generation and gone, with no one to carry on the family name. But that all changed as God appeared to Zacharias one day as he ministered in the temple, as we mentioned earlier. And God promised to him that his wife, Elizabeth, in her well-advanced years would bear him a son. Now, Zacharias didn't believe the angel. Like I said, at this point, he had decided that God was not going to answer those prayers. And so he was struck with a condition. He was struck with muteness. He was not able to speak until the time when this child would be born. Gabriel pronounced Because you did not believe that this would happen. This is the condition that you will find yourselves in. And so Zechariah is now left with what you might think of as a curse, but it really becomes a blessing because as he's unable to speak, what he is able to do is to take a back seat and to watch what God is doing in this situation. And we saw how all of that marvelously came to pass last week with the birth of little baby John the Baptist, the final Old Testament prophet who would point individuals to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In last week's passage, John was born. His father was enabled to speak once more as everyone came away praising God through this mercy that makes us merry. And so I want to encourage you today through the example of Zechariah as we dig a little deeper into what Zechariah does after that as he steps into this song, as he sings this benedictus. I want you to look to this example of Zechariah and sing a song of God's gift at Christmas. And today we're going to take a brief look at that song of praise as Zechariah breaks into Song once the curse of being mute is removed at his son's birth. So let's go there now, starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. If you're able, I'd ask that you'd stand, and we might honor the reading of God's word together. Hear the word of the Lord. And his father, that is John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, 
was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father. To grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God which, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Friend, friend are you among that sort of group that we talked about earlier? Are you among the sort of folks who've gotten the impression that Christmas is just no longer relevant to you? You don't get supercharged by the candy or the decorations or the long lines and the wrapping of presents. Have you gotten the idea that singing about and celebrating Christmas is a task for a younger generation? If so, then I want you to consider allowing God's Word to recalibrate your Christmas expectations. Because we should all know that Christ is at the root of Christmas. If your ultimate focus in this season is on something other than what he has done for us, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Nothing else can satisfy your longing for a song that sustains like the hope of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you now to let God put a song of Christmas blessing in your heart. In fact, from Zechariah's example, I want to share with you quickly three reasons why God's gift at Christmas is worthy of a song. Here's the first one. God's mission is to accomplish your salvation. God's mission is to accomplish your salvation. When Zacharias begins to sing in these verses, he is captivated by the mission of God. And God's mission drives him to bless the Lord. He begins with these words, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Now, we might expect Zechariah to be celebrating at this time because he's just had a son, a long-awaited son. But in his celebration, in his words of blessing, the emphasis is not upon the son of his that is born, but upon the son who has come to redeem him. Because that's so much greater of a celebration than he would find in his own heritage being extended. And God's mission drives him to bless the Lord. He begins with those words, Blessed be the God of Israel. What a fitting summary of the Christmas story we find there in in verse 68, by the way. If you're looking for a verse 
to write into your Christmas cards, let me suggest that Luke chapter 1, verse 68 would be a good one. Hear those words again. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Friends, that's what Christmas is all about. Christ has come. God has visited us in the flesh. And when he came to visit, he came on a mission, a mission that was accomplished with the redemption of his people. He has bought us back to himself. He has paid the price to set us free. And so this song of Zechariah goes on to describe how God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in verse 69. Now, when you see an animal with a horn, you know that horn is used by that animal in some way to attack or to defend itself. Christmas reminds us that God has raised up a horn of salvation, a horn of rescue, a horn of deliverance and destruction from destruction and peril. Because God will attack whatever holds us back from being with him. God will attack whatever holds us in peril. He will attack so that we are saved. He will defend us when something threatens to steal our everlasting joy. Through this one who has been raised up, who is Christ the Lord, God is on the move. God is working for your salvation. What is the horn of salvation rescuing and protecting us from? Well, verse 71, Zacharias celebrates that that God has brought salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Those enemies include, according to verse 79, darkness and the shadow of death. You see, friends, God has come to clear away the things that scare us the most. He's come to clear away the darkness. He's come to clear away the shadow of death, the fear of death. He has eradicated those enemies by sending Jesus to shine hope into our darkness and to defeat death through his resurrection from the grave. In fact, verses 74 and 75 indicate that because we are rescued from the hand of our enemies, it has been granted to us that we, I mean, just think of it, we, the flawed individuals that we are, we, the broken sinners who time and time again have rebelled against God, God has accomplished this so that we might serve him without fear, in holiness, in righteousness, before him all our days. Friends, God came on a mission. He visited his people, and he accomplished redemption. And his redemption means that those who are redeemed, those who are purchased back, those who are rescued from our enemies can serve him with no fear. You ever feel like you're not worthy to stand before God? Do you ever feel like you're not holy enough or or righteous enough to do his work? Well, all of us may have that feeling from time to time because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all got that common testimony. All of us deserve God's wrath. But God came on a mission to bridge the glory gap. He came as a man so that man could be reconciled to God. 
And so if you will accept his rescue plan, if you will realize God's mission and yield your life into his hands, you can serve him without fear. You can be made holy. You can be declared righteous because God has come to make these things so. How does he make these things so? That's what John the Baptist came to teach God's people. Zacharias knew that. And so filled with God's spirit, he prophesied in verses 76 and 77, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. You see, the way to be made right with God, the way to holiness is not through a flawless life. It is through a forgiven life. And Christ came to offer God's forgiveness for you and for me. God has come on a mission so that you can find forgiveness. So the first reason why God's gift at Christmas is worthy of a song is this. God's mission is to accomplish your redemption. Here's the second one. God's mission or God's memory is set on his people and his promises. God's memory is set on his people and his promise. Just before the events of this passage, just before Luke would ultimately set pen to page, just before God would act in these cosmic activities to bring these things to pass, God's people were in a state of disappointment. It seemed to them as though God had forgotten them. It seemed as though his promises had not been kept. In fact, this chosen people, this nation of Israel was occupied by the Romans. They were living in the shadow of Caesar Augustus and of his false gods. They paid taxes to Roman soldiers who abused them. For 400 years, heaven had been silent. Surely they wondered during this time what had happened to God's promises. Hadn't God promised them that they would be as numerous as the stars? Hadn't God promised that Abraham's descendants would be like the grains of sand? Where were the blessings? I'm sure they were thinking in this time that they were supposed to have. Didn't God remember them? But the truth is, like Willie Nelson's famous song, God could have sung to Israel, you were always on my mind. Because that's the truth. They were always on his mind. He was just waiting for his perfect timing. And so when this Savior came, when this horn of salvation was raised up, he came from the house of David. God's servant, as Zechariah notes in verse 69. This was a fulfillment of a promise of God. This happened, according to verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his prophets from of old. This happened, according to verses 72 and 73, because God was remembering his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham. Because though it may have seemed as though God was checked out, His Christmas gift was now coming about, and it proved that in spite of the silence, God's memory had been set on his people 
and on his promises. And friends, let me just tell you, you're never forgotten by God. You do not escape his memory. He always keeps his promises. Zechariah had witnessed this firsthand, and it put a song of Christmas blessing in his heart. And God's memory will put a song of Christmas blessing in your heart as well. If you will understand his faithfulness, if you will catch a glimpse of his promises. And hear me on this. God promises to save those who call upon him for salvation. He promises that those who come to him, he will never cast out. He promises heaven to those who cling to him by faith, cling to his grace. And so the second reason why God's gift at Christmas is worthy of a song is that God's memory is set on his people and on his promises. Here's the third and final reason. God's mercy is tender toward those who are in need. We talked about God's mercy last week. It is his mercy that makes us merry. God's mercy is his kindness. It's his goodwill towards those who are miserable or afflicted. It is his mercy that causes him to rise up and help those who are in need. His mercy is an attribute of who he is. It's not something that just turns on or turns off based on how he's feeling for the day. Our God is a merciful God. He is steadfast in his love and in his mercy. And because he is a merciful God, we can know that his heart is to provide lasting relief for those who are suffering. Last week we saw how Elizabeth's neighbors and her relatives had rallied around her to celebrate when they had heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, according to verse 58. And Zechariah knows that God is merciful as well. So when he sings, he sings about how God has brought salvation to show mercy toward our fathers in verse 72. And then again in verses 78 and 79, he sings the reason why God has embarked upon this Christmas mission and why God has kept a memory of his people with these words. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Does your life feel dark now? Are you dreading the prospect of death? Hear the good news of Christmas. Christ has come to display the tender mercy of of God to meet your need. He has come to guide you into the way of peace. What is that way? Well, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. He is the Prince of Peace that was promised long ago. And so take hold of the tender mercy of God and sing a song of Christmas blessing because God's gift at Christmas is worthy of a song. Now look, friends, God has mercy for you. If the mission of God and the memory of God and the mercy of our God have anything to teach us, it's this. God is for you. 
He is not against you. He wants to see you thrive. He wants you to know real life and real beauty and real hope. Don't settle for false substitutes. Christmas, this celebration of God come down in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ is the guarantee of our God's heart for you that he longs for you to thrive. Does that put a song in your heart? Now, I'm not saying that all of you need to, you know, go out and buy a nice fancy dress or a little sweater vest or a little bow tie that you can come up and sing here next Sunday. That's not what we're talking about here. I know not all of you enjoy singing, so don't feel like, you know, you're the, the pagan who's destined for the eternal pit of flames because you don't like to sing. But all of you can bless God. All of you can rejoice in his gift this Christmas season. All of you can take your eyes off of your own failed expectations and place them on the one who never fails. And so I urge you in this Christmas season, let God fill your heart with the wondrous good news of his work at Christmas. I heard about a mother who was having a gathering to celebrate the birth of her newborn son. She invited a bunch of her friends over to celebrate this baby boy's arrival, and she welcomed her guests. She treated them well. They were all having a great time celebrating. They were eating. They were drinking. After a while, one of the ladies said, you know, well, shouldn't the baby be awake by now? We, we really want to see this new baby boy. And so the mother went to the nursery. She went to fetch the the child out of the bed, but he was nowhere to be found. And so she went into a panic. She searched everywhere until suddenly she remembered that the baby was still at her parents' house where she had left him that morning so that she could prepare. She and her friends had been having so much fun that they had forgotten what the party was about in the first place friends that's a danger for you and i as we go through this christmas season there are a lot of festivities that are built up around christmas and i say go enjoy those festivities enjoy the wealth of gathering around with family enjoy the decor enjoy the presence enjoy watching those young smiling faces as they get up in the morning but don't forget the reason behind it all Don't forget what we are truly celebrating because our God has shown himself to be merciful and that ought to put a song in our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your grace which has extended to us wretched sinners though we are. The opportunity to be redeemed the opportunity to be saved, the opportunity to find life and to have that life abundantly. God, we thank you that Jesus has come, that Jesus has redeemed, that Jesus has borne every burden and been acquainted with every grief, and Jesus has borne our sins so that we might be forgiven. We thank you that Jesus, this one who has come, as a baby, this one who came in a humble form, this one who came knowing our struggles and treading upon our sod, has ultimately conquered the grave. We thank you that Jesus is alive as a promise for all of us, Lord. 
that we have something so much greater to celebrate than just the presents or the special cakes or whatever else this season might bring. So God, I just pray for each one of us that are here today. You'd help us to take inventory of our own hearts. Help us to take inventory of our own lives, Lord. Are we neglecting the true reason behind this season? If so, Father, I just pray that you would help us to be reminded once again of your grace come down for us at Christmas. And God, I pray that if there are those who are struggling with the darkness, who are struggling with death, if there are those who are here, who are in the midst of that struggle, who are struggling with disappointments, God, that you would remind them that you are for us, that you are a merciful God, that the blessings of Christmas are available to all. And Father, I pray that in this knowledge, we might come to trust you. We might come to rest in you. We might come to have a song welling up in our souls that causes us to rejoice in you, the great giver of all. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.